Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. It's time for Midday Edition on KPBS. Zero emission vehicles are key to meeting California's climate goals. But is California ready? I'm Jade Hindman. Here's to conversations that keep you informed, inspired, and make you think. From charging stations to the price tag. If you're renting, you might not have control over installing a charger at your home. And just the cost alone for electric vehicles can be a burden that uh, many families are finding hard to overcome as well. We'll talk about what needs to happen to make owning an electric vehicle more accessible. Plus, we'll explore how energy officials are preparing the electric grid for EVs and much more. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Infrastructure is one obstacle California has in meeting its zero emission goals. Sandag recently estimated that 3,200 public EV chargers would be needed in San Diego County by 2040. A state program is bringing equity to that goal. The Golden State priority is accepting applications to fund EV charging stations in areas that are low income and experiencing negative environmental factors that can impact public health. The program will cover up to 50% of installation costs. Evan Wright from San Diego-based Center for Sustainable Energy is helping the state with this program. He said the free market addresses one infrastructure challenge, and that is charging station providers go where it's easiest to install and quicker to turn a profit. In theory, prices of electric vehicles are going to come down. We're going to have this shift where more people are getting into the EV market. And you can't own an electric vehicle and feel confident about it if the infrastructure is not there to support. So we want to make sure that wherever you go in California, the representation of electric vehicle charging stations is equitable across the board. It doesn't matter if you're in the east, eastern, northern, southern, you know, um, regardless of the community, you have the charging stations available to you if you need them. Some San Diego County areas that could qualify include Logan Heights, National City, and Imperial Beach. Kyle Haskala is the co-director for state and regional policy at the Environmental Health Coalition in San Diego. He joins Midday Edition to talk about the importance of getting more zero-emission vehicles in low-income areas. Kyle, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So the Environmental Health Coalition serves specific communities in San Diego. What are those areas and why did the organization select them? 
Yeah, so Environmental Health Coalition has worked directly with resident and community leaders in some of San Diego's most polluted neighborhoods. So that's Barrio Logan, Logan Heights, West National City, and City Heights. Uh, we've done this work for over 40 years, and our organization actually started out as the Coalition Against Cancer because our work really centers in around public health and over pollution from things like industry and heavy duty diesel trucks in portside communities that have really resulted in some disproportionate health impacts for some of San Diego's uh, lowest income and most disadvantaged communities. And those communities, ha- again, have poor air quality uh, due to portside commerce. How much could having more zero emission vehicles uh, in those areas improve air quality, though? Yeah, so with our uh, direct community organizing over the past few decades, uh, it's been really clear that uh, our priorities need to center our fellow San Diegans who are often left out of the conversation on how to transition to a clean energy economy. Uh, A few things have been made really clear. First, it's critical that we invest in technologies that can benefit the most overpolluted and low-income communities first. We refer to these areas as environmental justice communities. So these are technologies like electric heavy-duty diesel trucks, uh, instead of diesel, making them electric. And a technology I can't stress enough is uh, clean transit, like electric buses. We need more transit to work for more people. The second priority that's really clear is that transportation represents 40% of our overall climate emissions in San Diego and also across the state. So electric vehicles are a critical strategy uh, and we need an across the board approach for how we ensure a climate safe future to reduce those transportation emissions. And, you know, there is a lot of diesel pollution in San Diego's portside communities. Reducing that, um, as you mentioned, is more important for better health outcomes. So in what ways is your organization trying to get more zero emission commercial trucks on the road? Yes, that's a great question. So heavy duty trucks represent a small number of the trucks on the road, uh, about 6% but they have an outsized impact in terms of air pollution. So there's about an estimated 6,000 heavy duty trucks that drive through portside communities each month. And the Port of San Diego has actually adopted a maritime clean air strategy to electrify 100% of their port trucks by 2030, about five years ahead of the state deadline. This is a really uh, ambitious goal and we applaud it. Because, as was mentioned, Sandag did an assessment that about 23,000 chargers will be needed for medium and heavy-duty vehicles operating within the region, and about 3,200 of these chargers will need to be public. So we're actively working with uh, our community residents to advocate for a quick transition to electric vehicles uh, that includes reaching out to small fleet operators to let them know about some state incentives that are available for them to make purchases of electric trucks instead of uh, keeping their diesel ones. And in general, San Diego County needs more electric vehicle charging stations, but do the areas you work in have even more of a need? Absolutely. 
Some of our communities uh, currently do not have any public electric vehicle charging. So if you're living in Logan Heights and thinking about making the switch to an electric vehicle, uh, that's going to be a really difficult uh, challenge to overcome because, first of all, uh, if you're renting, you might not have control over installing a, a charger at your home. And just the cost alone for electric vehicles can be a burden that uh, many families are finding hard to overcome as well. So when we think about where the state needs to invest in its infrastructure for a clean energy future, disadvantaged communities like the ones Environmental Health Coalition works with uh, have to be top priority because uh, we don't want these same communities that can't afford a car today to be left behind to be left behind during the uh, clean energy transition. Why have these environmental justice neighborhoods been left out from the rollout of electric vehicle charging stations to begin with? Yeah, uh, I think that that's a representation of the legacy of uh, racist land use planning that has been uh, in place for decades. And we're still trying to dig ourselves out of that hole. For example, uh, highways that have been constructed uh, to meet the demands of a car-oriented development uh, continue to be a legacy of racist planning. Communities like Barrio Logan were bisected by not only the Interstate 5, but the Coronado Bridge, Uh, not to mention that these same communities were zoned for industrial. So we have manufacturing and recycling facilities and auto body shops and port and shipbuilding located right next to homes and schools. So these areas have borne the brunt of our industry and our port site commerce without reaping so much of the benefits. So they're low in parks, uh, low in public resources, And it just kind of reflects a trend that has been uh, uh, observed for the past uh, over 70 years. Zero emission cars are expensive to buy, even used ones. And I imagine this pushes many families out of the EV market. So how does that clash with California's goals of having all new cars be zero emission? So some of our community partners are actually working uh, to address this. Our community partner, Groundwork San Diego, is helping to facilitate a program called Clean Cars for All, uh, which offers up to $12,000 for income-eligible residents in certain zip codes to trade in their old car and purchase or lease an electric vehicle or get a prepaid car for public transit or an e-bike, which is really exciting because we just simply know that so many families today can't afford a car and will not be able to make that switch without additional support or additional funding. So those programs are being made available. uh, And in addition to the subsidies and investments being made in electric vehicles, we really see a huge opportunity to start having more state investments go to uh, mass transit programs. We see that uh, as many as uh, up to three times more emission reductions can come from investing in things that reduce the amount of uh, miles that Californians drive than from adopting electric vehicles by the year 2030. 
Besides the issue of infrastructure for electric vehicles, what else is needed to help uh, communities with zero emission vehicle adoption? So in addition to the charging infrastructure, uh, there's a real obstacle in families being able to afford cars today. And these same families will not be able to afford an electric vehicle 10 years from now. So there has to be a variety of programs that are offered for San Diegans to be able to get where they need to go. That includes uh, affordable mass transit, uh, micromobility shuttles, like the ones that are being launched in downtown or National City, uh, e-bike programs, and uh, most importantly, uh, incentive programs for families to be able to afford a vehicle, an electric vehicle, they want to make the switch. And uh, in addition to that, uh, again, focusing on the heavy duty electrification first is going to be a massive benefit to environmental justice communities suffering from air pollution. And Kyle, reaching California's climate goals of being a zero emission state, uh, it extends beyond electric vehicles, right? That's right. There's a lot that can be done to reach our climate goals uh, beyond looking only at electric vehicles. Well, that's a critical component. Uh, We know that driving less is a a very uh, needed strategy for the state to focus on. Up until now, historically, the state has invested about 80% of its transportation funding into roads and highways while only about 20% into uh, mass transit and alternative transportation. Uh, And based on the science, we really need to start reversing that trend. Uh, Locally, Environmental Health Coalition has launched a 10 transit lifelines campaign because we know that uh, as a climate emission reduction strategy, uh, we won't meet our climate goals without uh, reducing the amount of driving that Californians do. So we know it's uh, uh, a difficult goal to reach 25% reduction in vehicle miles traveled by 2030, but we have some local solutions, things like new light rail lines, uh, electric buses being increased in frequency, and overall improving service and expanding that service area. We have data that shows that 70% of the jobs in the San Diego region are currently not reachable by fast and accessible transit. But if we can increase that number, folks can rely on alternative forms to get where they need to go. And that will help California reach its climate goals faster than ever. Kyle Hayskala is the Regional and State Policy Co-Director at the Environmental Health Coalition Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me in. What challenges do you see in owning an electric vehicle? Give us a call at 619-452-0228. Leave a message or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. Coming up, we'll talk about our electrical grid and if it can handle the demand of more EVs plugging into it. There certainly are some measures we have to take to be able to do that in an economic way and in a reliable way on the grid. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition.
Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome back to Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. We take the conversation from whether or not we have enough electric vehicle chargers to whether or not there's enough juice in the power grid to keep the cars charged. Last summer, heat waves prompted state officials to issue flex alerts. Californians were advised to conserve energy so the grid wouldn't be under more strain. That happened shortly after the state announced it would ban the sale of new cars with combustible engines by 2035. Millions more EVs are expected to be on the road because of this. Here's UCSD professor David Victor. I think many of the studies suggest that light-duty vehicles alone, so cars, uh, that they are going to be responsible for maybe a one-quarter increase in the demand for electricity between now and 2045. So if a heat wave and the use of air conditioners could threaten California's power grid, how could it possibly be prepared for the demand more electric vehicles could put on it? Jan Kleisel is someone who's researched answers to that question. He's an engineering professor and director of the Center for Energy Research at UCSD. Professor, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I've, I've been asking this question for years. <laughs> so, uh, you know, first, what sort of research on California's electrical grid is the center working on? Yes, we are working on a variety of topics. One is um, the future architecture of the grid, um, meaning how can we communicate better between grid, calling them participants, or distributed energy resources to be make sure that they all come on and turn off at the right time. That will allow us to be more flexible and to be able to respond um, to grid stress events better. Hmm. So what's the current state of California's grid? I mean, um, what can it handle and what can't it? Yes, yeah, so far, the uh, state largely relies on um, these flex alerts that you mentioned, which are mostly voluntary measures to reduce the grid demand during high stress events. Um, and those really we're looking after trying to dramatically increase the power of those um, alerts, uh, and also making it more attractive <laughs> so that the uh, users on the grid actually get remunerated properly for reducing their demand. So it's no longer voluntary, but actually uh, an economic incentive. And then there are a few programs that utilities run where they directly contract with larger industry companies or uh, larger chains where they actually are, are contracted already to provide such uh, what's called demand response events, meaning that a whole chain of, say, fast food restaurants would actually uh, dial down the, their uh, AC or other equipment to conserve energy. Mm. So what impact will moving to all new zero emission vehicles by 2035 have on California's energy grid? Definitely a lot. <laughs> so Californians love driving. And that, uh, of course, reflects in how much energy is used for uh, vehicles. Right now, that energy is coming from the uh, gas stations through uh, diesel or gasoline. 
Uh, and that will all shift to have to come from the electric grid uh, by 2035. And after all the other old vehicles are decommissioned. So that's a large increased demand on the grid. And there certainly are some measures we have to take to be able to do that in an economic way and in a reliable way on the grid. So are there manufacturers then uh, of zero emission cars working on models that could put less pressure on the grid? One way to reduce pressure on the grid would be to uh, make the cars more efficient. So that's, I think, something that everybody works on. Just how our laptops become much more efficient, uh, increasing our battery life. The same holds for cars. We want cars to be more efficient, meaning using less fuel so we can uh, get more miles on our battery. Um, But uh, the bigger effect really is uh, to make the charging of the cars uh, more flexible so it can happen at the right time of the day. So we want to avoid the charging from happening in the evening when people get home, but rather improve the uh, attraction of workplace charging uh, where people can plug in while they're uh, in their office or um, on the job otherwise. And at that location, we would use the the midday energy, uh, which is the cleanest energy and also going to be the the most um, ample energy supply from solar power on our grid. And that would really um, be the, the big win for getting more uh, cars accommodated by grid power. Hmm. So are are there any other concerns about the grid's limitations in the future? Yeah, what I talked so far are are mostly, um, I would say, California-wide concerns about how do we shift the energy to the right times of day. Um, There are also more localized concerns where, say, there are many homes on on one transformer on a distribution system. They all would would all um, charge the cars at the same time that can actually double or triple the the house's energy draw from the grid. So there may may be local overloads that would have to be resolved through local measures, meaning um, replacing a transformer or replacing a line. Those things we want to avoid because those are very costly and very very localized. And so there, there may be another need for solutions that are more localized to prevent those costly upgrades in the future. So what infrastructure changes do you think are needed for the grid to meet higher energy demands in the future? Uh, I think it's the energy demands in the future will require mostly these uh, local uh, upgrades if we are able to shift the the charging demand to the the right times. And so that means power lines, it means uh, transformers, uh, which are the majority of the equipment you see uh, on on the power grid. And, And then some communication infrastructure to be able to um, make us control the charging of vehicles in a more flexible way for those consumers who uh, are open to to being paid and uh, participate in those those measures. Mm. You know, I guess, you know, another question I have is, is there going to be a point, you think, where we we really have to just kind of limit our use of cars? (laughs) Uh, that'd be nice certainly (laughs) for 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 some um i actually myself uh have to not have a car uh, which is unusual and a little bit of a wild ride sometimes (laughs) and i would not recommend that to everybody (laughs) no not advocating for that for sure but uh, um really the goal cannot be that Uh, we we want to power our society want to power peoples uh, to be able to fulfill their their dreams and activities that they want to do. Uh, I think if you, if you were trying to curtail car use, that would be a, a first stopper right there. So that's not an option, really. <laughs> and you've touched on this, but what else can consumers do uh, to reduce the strain on the electric grid? Yeah, it's, it's very primarily that workplace charging. That's the silver bullet for electric vehicles. 
Um, and I know it's sometimes challenging uh, to find parking uh, spaces with, with charging ability. But here at UCC, for example, we, we just won a grant from the um, in California to install about 700 more charges on the campus. So that will hopefully relieve uh, our ability to provide services to all of those vehicles and reduce wait times and re re uh, improve the service quality for users. But uh, I'm sure there are many workplaces that don't have that luxury. And, and so we, we hopefully can convince more employers to install charging stations or employees to, to lobby uh, their employers to do so, because uh, that would ultimately be the biggest benefit for the, the grid and the environment. Exactly. So then how can, um, you know, state or even energy companies then incentivize consumers to conserve more energy to put less strain on the power grid? Uh, the, the rates also have to change. Uh, so unfortunately, right now, the uh, cheapest rate uh, is still from midnight to 6 a.m. That's when basically people would people who are savvy enough to understand the uh, the time of use pricing, uh, that's when they would charge their cars. But actually, actually, that's exactly the wrong time uh, to charge the cars. We want to charge the cars during the day when we have solar power available. So those rates have to change to make it uh, economically attractive, which will then directly incentivize consumers to change their behavior. Um, that's unfortunately it's a multi-year process because it involves uh, state agencies and, and utility companies to propose these plans and have them approved. But uh, as we all know, the market always drives <laughs> the best uh, decisions and solutions. So we, we should uh, let the market take over and just provide the right incentives to, to do so. So do you think the state and Californians have enough time to make all the infrastructure and consumer behavior changes by 2035? Uh, I think yes. I, I think the state has realized the, the criticality of this particular issue, both for environmental and reliability and uh, quality of life reasons. And uh, I see a lot of interest and a lot of work being done on the right uh, programs for flexibility, the right uh, incentives to be used, um, the infrastructure upgrades we need. So a lot of modeling work, a lot of research work, um, and also a lot of technology work that's going on. So I'm quite confident that uh, we have all the hands on deck to get this to work. <laughs> <laughs> Good news. All right. I've been speaking with Jan Kleisel, UCSD Professor of Engineering and Director of the Center for Energy Research at UCSD. Uh, professor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Coming up, where do hydrogen vehicles fit into all of this? Car makers are not investing in this technology. They're not introducing a lot of options. We'll talk about that next. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome back to Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. When was the last time you saw a hydrogen-powered car on the road? If the answer is never, that's because they're actually pretty rare. 
Of the 1.1 million zero-emission cars in California, only about 1% of them are hydrogen-powered. So why is California spending $106 million to build more hydrogen fueling stations? CalMatters climate policy reporter Alejandro Lasso found some answers to that question in his recent article. Alejandro, it's good to have you with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so how does a hydrogen car work? A hydrogen car or a fuel cell electric vehicle is one that runs off hydrogen, which is the most common element in the universe. Um, you know, uh, hydrogen is two-thirds of, of, of water. Um, and fuel cell electric vehicles or hydrogen-powered vehicles have uh, been in contention as a potential green technology for decades. Uh, fuel cell electric vehicles, they don't burn hydrogen. They run an electrochemical reaction that releases the energy from hydrogen and powers the car. Mm. So is there any impact on the environment from these cars? When, when you use the hydrogen, no, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a green fuel. Uh, they're getting the hydrogen in the state uh, in which you would use it, that does require some energy. And uh, depending on the type of energy you use and the, and the process you use, that could be uh, energy that uh, causes uh, emissions. Hmm. So it sounds like it's good for the environment or at least uh, not impactful in any negative way. So why don't uh, very many Californians drive hydrogen-fueled cars? There aren't many hydrogen cars on the road. Um and that's kind of what this controversy has been about this year. It has been uh, a debate in the state legislature. Hardly anybody drives a hydrogen car, as you said, and automakers don't offer a lot of models. Uh, California Californians only own about 12,000 of them or about, as you mentioned, 1% of the zero emission vehicles we've got. Uh, Battery power, battery powered cars have really become the, the dominant form of zero emission vehicles. And these days, they make up about one in five of new car sales. And it seems to be just a story of consumer preference, advances in battery technology that we've all heard about, and um, other factors that have seen uh, electric cars essentially eclipse uh, fuel cell electric vehicles. Um, you will have proponents who say that it's really a, a chicken and egg conundrum that uh, people aren't buying the cars and automakers aren't making them because uh, there aren't enough fuel stations. Um, but uh, that that's an argument that uh, the proponents of these hydrogen power cars will make. Okay, well, so then let's get into the funding and the investment uh, being made into fuel stations. Um, that money, of course, will go to build more hydrogen fueling stations. How are those like gas stations? Right. So hydrogen fueling stations um, are essentially like gas stations, they, at least in, in terms of their outward appearance, right? Uh, if you have a fuel cell electric vehicle, you'll be familiar with this. You can go to one of California's hydrogen fueling stations and basically fill up your tank. It's sort of like uh, a gas station. You pull up, you apparently can use your credit card to pay. Uh, they have nozzles. Um, and since hydrogen is in uh, a gaseous form, these no nozzles create a seal uh, uh, from where you you kind of put it on your car. And the process is supposed to be rather fast and efficient. Um, 
you know, arguably faster than powering up uh, an electric car. And that's been uh, long one of the arguments of, of proponents for hydrogen uh, uh, fuel cell electric vehicles. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, it's convenient and efficient. Hmm. And well, so the bill that would allow this funding for, for the hydrogen um, fueling stations, AB 126, uh, it reauthorizes fees for the clean transportation program. So what is this program all about? Yeah, absolutely. So the clean transportation program um, is one of the programs that exists in California to fund, um, you know, green infrastructure, so to speak. It's it's considered a pretty important program. It was created in 2007, and it uses the fees that California drivers pay, or some of the fees that California drivers pay, uh, to invest in uh, all sorts of uh, clean transportation. In recent years, it's been uh, really used to fund uh, things like the infrastructure for um, uh, zero emissions cars. Since um, uh, since its creation, it's invested nearly $1.6 billion in alternative fuels and charging stations and other clean vehicle trends, uh, uh, other, other clean vehicle technologies. Um, uh, and uh, the state's energy commission uh, uses the money from these fees uh, to build out uh, this infrastructure. And it's considered to be uh, an important program because uh, the fees people pay every year is a pretty consistent source of funding. There used to be a 20% set aside for hydrogen development, and now it's just 15%, as we mentioned earlier. Um, why has there been a, de- a decrease? Yeah. So um, every so so the program was reauthorized, um, you know, a decade ago. And when it was reauthorized uh, that first time, uh, uh, Californians wanted to make sure that uh, fuel cell electric vehicles or hydrogen technology had an opportunity to grow and compete in the state. Uh, and the idea was to build a network of fueling stations up and down California. And um, and and they saw the need to make a special carve out out of this clean transportation program uh, of 20 percent of funds every year to go towards this goal of building this net network. So the state legislature uh, just again, a decade later, uh, just uh, uh, this year, uh, just passed a bill reauthorizing the program for another decade. Uh, uh, even though that network of fueling stations uh, w- hasn't been re- realized, that hi- that 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 network of um, hydrogen uh, fueling stations, and the governor has said uh, he'll sign this bill uh, because it's uh, considered to be a very important uh, climate program. Uh, so some lawmakers this year originally wanted to drop that special carve out, that 20 percent that you mentioned uh, for hydrogen fuel stations altogether. They said that um, at this stage of the game, the technology should just compete with uh, other types of zero emissions infrastructure uh, developers. Um, but hydrogen powered cars have their proponents. Right. And they a- advocated very strongly to not only keep this set aside, but increase it. Uh, they wanted a 30 percent carve out. And um, lawmakers settled on 15% over six years as a compromise. Yeah, I mean, there's only two of these hydrogen fueling stations in San Diego County. Obviously, that makes ownership a challenge. What are the other obstacles hydrogen car drivers could face? There are actually 65 fueling stations across the uh, entire state um, and uh, for, for passenger vehicles. 
And I mean, one of the most uh, obvious uh, <laughs> challenges somebody's going to face is that California, while you know there's not this huge network, it is the place where there are are uh, charging stations. So you're not going to be able to drive your car out of the state if you drive a fuel cell electric vehicle, because there just really isn't anywhere else to fuel up. Um, the other big uh, barrier, I think, for consumers is that really car makers are not investing in this technology. They're not introducing a lot of um, uh, you know options. Uh, there's the Toyota Mirai and the Hyundai, Hyundai uh, Nexo. Uh, but in total, only about 1,700 cars uh, or, or fuel cell electric vehicles have been sold in California this year. Um, so those are kind of the main things uh, that are, are standing in the way of, of, of bigger adoption. Hmm. So bottom line this for me, if, if all of that is the case, why do some lawmakers want to make this investment in more fueling stations? There are some real proponents of hydrogen fuel cell technology. Uh, they, some, some lawmakers just like the technology. Others say, uh, on the whole, California uh, is in the midst of this clean car transition. It's a transition that's still nascent. And they aren't willing to bet on battery electric vehicles completely as the uh, technology uh, going forward. Uh, we found some of these lawmakers, that's in our reporting, we found some of these lawmakers had taken significant significant contributions from the oil and gas industries, but uh, others not so much. Uh, so there seems to be a range of reasons. I think the thing is uh, to keep in mind is that in order for this program to be reauthorized, this clean transportation program, the one we've been talking about, uh, is since it's a fee, there needs to be a two-thirds majority of lawmakers in both of the houses voting to approve this program. So even in California, where we have a Democratic supermajority in the state legislature, in order to get this passed, every vote counted. And there were enough of these hydrogen supporters in uh, the state legislature to make that happen. And, and that's just how deal making works. So that's interesting. Some of these uh, players are, are lobbyists. Uh, from the fossil fuel industry. So why do they want to get involved? Right. Well, yeah, the main lobbyists, the main the main group really uh, pushing for a uh, a carve out for hydrogen was the a group known as the California Hydrogen Coalition, which we wrote about. Um, we spoke to them. Um, it's a lobbying group uh, created by hydrogen supporters and suppliers. They include Chevron, Shell, Toyota, um, and uh, they, as, as we discussed, they originally wanted to see uh, three times the amount of what they will now receive. They wanted about $300 million to create a statewide network of 1,000 hydrogen fueling stations to in, encourage um, uh, the adoption of this technology. Uh, ma major oil and gas companies see hydrogen as a potential way for their industry to remain viable in a decarbonized future. Uh, some companies are exploring ways of making hydrogen uh, what we know what, what is called as a green energy source, um, but that technology remains uh, costly and um, and and uh, 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 ways away potentially. Hmm. So you mentioned this green hydrogen. What is that? In order to uh, get hydrogen into a fuel source, you've got to use energy. There's a process uh, known of electricity. Electrolysis has to happen, um, requires uh, water, uh, electrolyzer, uh, and a bunch of energy. 
if you uh, use energy that's renewable, in other words, that doesn't emit uh, uh, carbon uh, in, into the atmosphere, then uh, that is considered a, a way of making uh, hydrogen green. So if you use renewable energy like um, solar power or wind power, then that energy is completely green. The issue is is that these days, most of the most the most common way to make hydrogen is through uh, burning natural gas, which again is a fossil fuel. So they're making these investments in the hydrogen fueling stations. Are they making the same investment in electric charging stations, um, or even more of an investment? California has uh, some important milestones and goals that they need to meet. Meet. Because the the reality is, of course, if you uh, the first thing somebody asks uh, when they're buying an electric car after how much is it is well where I'm going where am I going to charge it and the vast majority of charging in California still occurs in the single family home but in order to uh, in order for the state to to meet its clean energy goals its its clean transportation goals. Uh, the state believes it really needs to build out a, a broader infrastructure of uh, publicly available uh, uh, charging stations, um, not only just out on the road and at different places of businesses, but also in apartment buildings and um, uh, where people have more access. All right. I've been speaking with Alejandro Lazo, a climate reporter at CalMatters. You can read his latest article about AB 126 on calmatters.org. Alejandro, thank you so much for breaking down (laughs) what uh, could be a complicated subject. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. What thoughts do you have about owning a zero-emission car? Give us a call at 619-452-0228. You can leave a message or email us at midday at kpbs.org. We'd love to share your thoughts and ideas here on the show. Don't forget to watch Evening Edition tonight at 5 for in-depth reporting on San Diego issues. We'll be back tomorrow at noon. And if you ever miss a show, you can find the Midday Edition podcast on all platforms. I'm Jade Hindman. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.